0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pre Med Uncultured. We're here with Chuka and Kate, your hosts, and our special guest, Dylan Engel. Dylan, you want to introduce yourself for everyone listening?
1: Yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Dylan. I'm an M1 uh, at the University of Chicago Medical School.
0: Well, Dylan and I go way back. We were actually, we did high school together, kind of. Um, we did Desert Mountain High School. Dylan was in the IB program, so he's been pushing himself academically since. He was 13 years old, so um, you decided to go to the University of Arizona for your undergraduate degree and stay in Arizona. Um, you want to talk about your decision to stay there and, you know, what kept you going um, throughout the process of undergrad? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think after high school, uh, it was definitely, I think, like a lot of people deciding between like going in-state, um, out-of-state, and eventually um which, looking back, was a good decision. I did um, stay in state. I went to University of Arizona. Um, it was mainly, honestly, about like how affordable it was. I think, like after you go to an in-state school, you realize like how privileged you are to not have to pay full tuition, um, which was really nice. And then U of A, I mean, in retrospect, something I didn't know is a great um, medical campus, a great like research institution. Um, and my time there, uh, I think, really shaped like how I view academics and like what I wanted to do um, in my career going forward. So.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So um, you're currently an M1 and you're what, 22, 23 years old?
1: Yeah, 22, 23 in two weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's probably one of the younger, you know, ages in your medical class. So you applied in your junior year of college, right? And you got accepted for like immediate matriculation after graduating. Do you want to talk a bit about what your decision making was and not taking a gap year and the pros and cons for applying that early?
1: Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I mean, at 22, I am, I would say like on the younger side in my medical school class, um, Pritzker specifically, the average age of our class is I think 25 and a half, like 26, um, which is, I mean, yeah, four years older than me. Um, And I think you're starting to see that trend like nationally. There's more people taking gap years. Um, And I think a large part of that is just because like medical schools have realized that looking for people who have had real life experience, have had a career, have had kind of like that background um, makes people good doctors, makes them easier to connect with people and do all of that stuff. Um, I personally didn't take a gap year. I was applying a just because honestly I was a little ignorant about the process like I don't think my med, my uh, pre health advisor was super helpful um, during that process of applying but also I had just I think for a long time been waiting like to apply to med school or to like go into a graduate career um, that honestly like I felt like waiting um, would have just like been bad for my overall like health and like what I wanted to what I wanted to go accomplish so. I ended up just trying to do it um, straight out of undergrad, and it ended up working out well. um, But I definitely see, and looking back, I think I definitely could have taken uh, some time off.
0: Yeah. So when you say that it's trending towards having this real life experience, obviously you got accepted being, you know, you were interviewing when you were 21, and you're going to be a physician in your mid to late 20s. So what do you think you did in your undergraduate degree that made it okay for you to not have that life experience? What do you think differentiated yourself and put you on that maturity level and experience level of someone who is maybe 26, 27, has a family, has had a job, worked in the industry, et cetera?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's a there's a part where maturity like comes from I mean a lot of the different like life experiences you've had and I think sometimes people like depending on even their undergraduate experience or how they grew up um and the people like that they've associated themselves with like are just more mature um and I see that a lot like in my class now there's people who some of the youngest people in our class we have two 21 year olds are some of the most mature and like well-traveled people I've ever met um and that's because like they are one of them is an international student another one um is just like puts himself out there and really does like a lot of like different projects. Um, and I think that's kind of what, um, in my undergraduate career, when I was applying, um, stood out was, I did, I think, I think I had a clear vision of what I wanted to do and the kind of physician I wanted to embody. And I think a lot of the maturity that people, um, are looking for in applicants that are older is people who have life experience and have a clear mission that they want to go into. Um, and it, because they've tried things out, and they have passions outside of medicine, and they have interests that really lead them to be leaders, like in different projects and different fields inside medicine as well that they want to go into. Um, and I think during when I was an undergrad, I did a lot of work um, with the homeless population in Tucson. Um, I ended up like starting a mobile clinic um, with the with the doctor at the like the family medicine department um, at U of A. And I think that experience, I was so passionate about that in my interviews and when I was talking about it and I had learned a lot through that, that I knew the kind of doctor I wanted to be. I knew the kind of work that I wanted to do. And I think that stood out. And I think that's a big part of the maturity factor they're looking for. Med school really isn't, when you get into it, about not failing. It's about like maximizing the degree that you have. And schools want to know that the person they're recruiting is somebody who's going to go above and beyond and like fulfill like fulfill a goal and to like stand out in their field and I think that's a big part of the maturity factor that they're looking for. So wow.
2: Wow. I I love that so much. And 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 even you talked about this idea where I would love to explore about you talk about under having a clear mission of why you want to do this thing medicine. Then you then you talked you talked about working with um, homeless, unhoused housing insecure populations. What what about those um, how, how did those two sort of things work in you sort of finding your mission? And what is your mission? Right. And, and can you sort of share some of your story? What allowed you to arise um, and, and come to this conclusion that, hey, medicine may be the field that I'm called to?
1: Yeah, um, I, I mean, I didn't always know that I wanted to um, like be a physician. I know there's a lot of people like have varying things. Like, I wanted to be a doctor when I was really little. Um, I didn't really know that. I kind of just wanted to be involved in um, some sort of like STEM field when I entered college. Um, didn't know a whole lot about um, what it took to becoming a doctor. Um, I did have a peer mentor when I entered U of A. His name was Satya, um, and he actually ran the club that, like, I then joined and became a part of that worked with a lot of the homeless um, and, like, underserved populations in Tucson. Um, And he really guided me to begin work in that club. Um, I joined and then, like, became part of leadership. And in doing so, um, and this is something I talked about a lot in my medical school interviews, I realized that a lot of the populations we were working with, we would volunteer at different clinics, different soup kitchens, um, helping people, like, find external resources, and there's a lot of, I mean, socioeconomic inequities that they experienced, but their health, when they would get a broken leg or when they had uncontrolled diabetes and um, like open sores, their health was was keeping them from working on um, and utilizing the resources that we were giving to really like improve their, their socioeconomic status and to, to help them um, really gain the resources that they needed to then improve their lives. Um, and I think that was a but that was apparent. And that kind of made me realize that be going into medicine was a lot more than just treating people. It was about really like treating a, a holistic, like having a holistic experience and treating a whole person. Um, and I kind of took that, expanded on it, became more involved in the club um, and at school, um, started working um, at clinics and then like eventually founded my own. Um, and in doing so, realized like my mission would be um in the future, like to serve people through primary care and to offer people, um, really a healthcare experience that wasn't, um, like wasn't discriminatory, wasn't hard to access, I think was the biggest thing. Um, that was a really big barrier when there were a lot of the homeless and underserved population in Tucson was accessibility not just for like going into their community in a mobile clinic, but also accessibility where they were had a lot of, um, conceptions already about the healthcare system that had demonized them and really discriminated against them. Um, And I think a lot of, there's a lot of intersectionality in that a lot of people um, and a lot of different communities across the United States have those same feelings towards medical professionals. Um, And that kind of led, yeah, my mission when I applied was that I wanted to go into primary care. I wanted to serve communities that previously had not been served with accessible healthcare um, so that eventually we could achieve a larger, like greater socioeconomic equity Um, in the united states and i mean that is like a very (laughs) that is a very far-reaching goal um but i think that was like an end point what i basically told admissions committees and stuff and i had put a lot of time and effort into that and i think that part was clear um when i when i ended up applying so
2: wow I, i love it i love it and i think that even after talking about it i think that the the passion you have for it is so tangible as you discuss it. And and I would love to even talk about, so you went to University of Arizona, Tucson, massive school. Like this is, how did you how did you engage in community, right? Not just extracurricular, but even the academic space, whether it was engaging in undergraduate research, whether it was connecting with professors, because I think that um, so many of our viewers and you know, so many of our listeners, right, or go to these really big schools where they oftentimes feel like a number rather than a name. And given your experience, how did you engage? it? how did you not you? How did you sort of utilize that to to get you to where you are now?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's a definite barrier when you go to a larger school and connecting with professors. And I was actually just talking to some of my friends the other day. Um, a lot of people in my class have gone to smaller schools, Washington, St. Louis schools that have very robust. Pre health department, a lot of advisors and professors. Like per the the ratio per student is very small, um, whereas at U of A in some larger schools, that's really not this not the case. Um, and I do think it was it was really difficult. I did have I think when I first started a lot of trouble going up to professors and, and speaking with them. Um, at U of A, there was always the opportunity to TA for professors um, and to like preceptor they could call it. Um, and so, in connecting professors, like to get letters of rec and stuff, I would make sure that I would TA for them or like preceptor for them, which is not an option that everybody has. I mean, it is unpaid, um, and I it would I would like it to be paid, and I think it would be more equitable for it to be paid. Um, but to make those connections, I would go TA and show that I was interested in the subject. Connect with them after, um, and then in terms of doing research, honestly, I got this advice from um, one of my uh, just academic advisors when I started was to just. Um, cold email people like PIs find what you're interested in, um, look on the website, look at what they do, read a couple of their papers, I think is the biggest thing. Um, they don't expect you to understand everything. You're not a doctoral student, you're not a PhD. Um, but to just show you're interested and kind of do your own research and cold email, summarize what you're kind of looking for and the, what you've learned about their papers and their work um, and wait to see if anybody gets back to you. And um, that ended up working for me. And I started doing research um, my first year of undergrad. Um, and yeah, it kind of just kept going from there. And I know research is, a, I think, a pretty controversial thing um, in applying to, to a medical school. Not everybody likes research. I didn't really like, I did basic science research for all four years. Um, and it wasn't my favorite thing. And I think something you realize, or at least I've realized when I've gotten into Medical school is not all research that you need to do has to be basic science. There's a lot of like public health research. Um, You can do community health. And I think that's something that is not super accessible to people, like just STEM students when you're in a big university is realizing the breadth of research opportunities you have and realizing that not all research has to be um, has to be basic science. Not all research has to be genetics or cellular biology or something that there's interesting research that people do outside of those fields um, and you can get involved in that um, really just by reaching out like cross uh, department, like interdisciplinary um, to different faculty members and professors who would definitely have you on um, If even if you're an undergrad. It's, it might even be more accessible than having to join a large like STEM lab, genetics lab and go do research from there. So.
2: I love that. And thank you so much for saying that. I think that that just reaffirms um, what Kate and I have just been trying to, to encourage our listeners, right? This idea of uh, pursue what you're passionate about, right? And, and when you pursue what you're passionate about, right, whether that be different types of research, then you'll find ways for it to connect with your, with your overarching mission. And, and I, con- I completely relate this idea of paradox of choice. Big institutions have so much offering that you're like, okay, let me just make it, let, let me make my choice easy as possible. Let me just choose basic applied science, and then you end up being in a lab for three, four years. You're like, "This is great. I love the people. I just don't like the projects." Right? And then you get to um, professional school, like you're in. And you say, "Well, there's all there's clinical, there's public health, there's all these these interdisciplinary research things that we can be doing." And so, I think um, that's such a word of encouragement for for our listeners and those who are engaging or beginning to engage in research. Um, do what you're passionate about, and then you will you innately will find ways to connect it to what your passion for medicine, if that happens to be your passion is. And so I think that's so so important. Thank you for sharing that.
0: Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, I think I, I remember two years ago, I was like, Dylan, I need to get into a lab. I know you've been with the one for like this entire time. What do I do? And you were the one who told me to like cold email and cold call people. And I ultimately got into a lab, which was like a wonderful thing, but it was a volunteer position. It was not paid. But it was a stepping stone to get a paid position. It was a stepping stone to get some experience in the lab. And I'm really lucky. I, I like what I do in the lab right now. Um, it's not always super fun. It's not always the most engaging, you know, stimulating stuff. But it's basic research that needs to be done, basic proofs of concepts so we can take that next step forward. Um But when we were talking the other day, you said that you didn't really love genetics and you don't really want to do that. Can you talk a little more on how to figure out what you don't like and then maybe, you know, push yourself to do something that is completely out of your wheelhouse, but maybe is something that you enjoy more and what that could be for you in pursuing research uh, at the medical school that you're at?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll be honest. Yeah, when we were talking, I didn't. End up really liking genetics, and I think when you're an undergrad, a large part of if you like your research has to do with your PI and kind of the lab you work in. Um, I, I did like my PI, I liked my lab, um, and I think it really ended up being that genetics was not something that I grasped really well as a as a concept, and something that at the end of the day, I had realized that I wasn't passionate about. Um, and I think I think lot going along with that theme to find research that you are passionate about, you really do have to have to look within and kind of say like what kind of projects would make me happy? What are some like inquiries that I've had um, in the work that I do like academically or outside of that extracurricularly that I would like to like investigate more? Because if you go to that good thing about going to a large academic institution, there is somebody doing research that is surrounding the topic that you're interested in. There is. And if you go to a small school, you don't always get that opportunity. Um, and I think that's really important. And then, I think continuing, I kind of realized, yeah, basic science, genetics research, um, that kind of methodology isn't super interesting to me. Um, and then as I got more involved in community health and stuff like that, I realized if I'm very passionate about community health, there's research to be done involved in that field. Um, and at U Chicago, we have a um, pretty well-developed scholarship and discovery program that's a longitudinal program that we do for um, all four years of medical school. And it's in, it's just trying to get you involved with research of some kind so scholarship of some kind and i think going back to your point that's that's really the main thing when schools and when you're applying pre-med what they're looking for they don't need you to be um like very proficient in your research they don't need you to have published like a, a large amount of things they want somebody who's willing to set up who has an inquiry who's willing to then do research and have the framework to like investigate that so i think that's one thing um but going back to chicago they have this this large framework um, that we, that we work in and they have different tracks that kind of keep us give us ideas and keep us on a certain path. So we have a community health path. We have a healthcare delivery and improvement sciences. um, We have a global health track, a basic science track, clinical research. um, And I think there's one more, but Oh, and medical education. And so these are all like, obviously they're all related to medicine, but they have very a very wide array of topics that they look at medical education can look at like the language that you use in the classroom and like how that affects like students perception of the material and then healthcare delivery sciences you can work in the hospital and look at like how to decrease waiting room times um, in different in different clinical settings so none of that and i think that's a large thing is that not a lot of people with the pre-meds know about that and that's very fair i didn't either um, but I think now that I do, I've become more involved in like community health research. Um, and this summer, I'll be doing research in um, kind of harm reduction networks and the, like addiction um, in rural Illinois, which is like much more of my wheelhouse than <laughs> than doing genetics research, which I found which I found out now and committed to. So. Yeah,
0: I mean, like I think that not knowing stuff obviously sucks, but that's what the like wonderful part about this podcast and sharing and having a community is is that your hindsight becomes someone else's foresight. So you even just sharing the fact that you don't know these things and you wish you did is giving other people an opportunity and, you know, like giving them a step up the ladder and maybe someone isn't interested in, you know, doing public health work, but you said 15 other things that they could get into. So they just realized the plethora of possibilities out there and that you can always find something that you love and enjoy and to be passionate about and to make a difference in, even if it's not health related, even if it's just in the world of helping others. Um, so switching gears, you obviously transition very quickly from undergraduate level work to your medical school level work. Do you want to talk at all about how it's been different from your expectation to your reality? You know, the pass fail rules, the smaller class sizes, the diversity you're seeing within the class and like how you found your groove i mean i talked to you and you said that you're you're chilling i mean it's hard but you're chilling so like how how did you get from being an undergrad to being an m1 it's like over a summer essentially
1: yeah um i think the answer to that question i do still feel like an undergrad sometimes i think because i'm one of the younger people in my class um it was definitely more of a difficult transition to hold hold yourself to the standards of like professional school. I think a lot of my classmates have professional experiences in the workplace or in other graduate school environments. Um, so I do think it's I, I do think I've transitioned well, but um, there there are definitely times when I still feel like the same person I was eight months ago, and that's mainly because I am. <laughs> but I think the the transition from undergraduate. Academics to medical school academics, there's a ton more information, which I'm sure everybody's heard. Um, but I do think, and it depends on your preclinical curriculum a lot. Some people have very condensed preclinical curriculum in one year. UChicago has um, has a more spread out preclinical curriculum, so it's not all condensed, um, which I think leads to it being like a little more manageable. But still, like a ton of information. You have class. I mean, like four or five hours every day. Um, but I think the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is the pass fail. Like pass fail. Um, Some schools have it at 70, 75, 65. um, And for different classes, it varies. But having the pressure to get an A, I think, um, in your pre-med career is like it's super competitive. You need a lot of work like getting a getting a nine above a 90 percent on anything is is very hard. Um, But getting a 70, getting a 75 lowers the stakes dramatically. When you think about like if you were getting allowed to get C's in your undergraduate career, like how much easier life would have been. Um, And I think it's much easier and it does reflect in like there's a lack of competitiveness among my classmates and a a lot of collaboration. Like nobody cares what the curve is. Nobody cares what the high score is. As long as everybody passed, we're all good. Um, And I think Pritzker itself does that very well. My class um, is super diverse, like a lot of a lot of great backgrounds, a huge range of ages um, in people and. They make it so collaborative and they're always so supportive. Um, And I think that is largely facilitated by a pass fail curriculum because you just have time to do other things. Um, And I think by the smaller class size, U Chicago has a class size of 88 people, which is like pretty small comparatively to a lot of, a lot of other schools. And that has made me like very close with a ton of my classmates and fosters again, like an environment of collaboration, support and, I love all my classmates. Um, so I think, in terms of the environment and the mood in an academic setting, like I feel much better. I'm much less stressed. I have more information to do. But not only is it now relevant information to my career that really like kind of motivates me to get it done. Um, it's also like I'm I'm in, with classmates who want me to succeed. I'm with professors who want me to succeed because if you look at it from like a business perspective, like you're an investment, your medical school invested money in you. And if they gave you a scholarship, they invested more money in you and like they do not want you to fail. So they're getting you to pass is like the bare minimum. And at U Chicago, even if you fail, we have a, like, we have, I forgot what it's called exactly, but it's like a, you will pass policy. So if you fail once you will take the exam again. And if you fail it, want like it again, you will take it again and you will take it until you pass. Um, and some schools have that, some schools don't. Um, but it it definitely takes a lot of the stress off your shoulders, and if you have an off week um if you have something like some sort of mental health crisis, family emergency, whatever, that extends a lot of grace to be like, I can pass this test at another time this, the administration is okay with that, um which I think is something new Chicago does really well.
2: So. and you talked about this idea of of scholarship, right and you know let's let's I think if we're gonna we're gonna even change gears one one more time, right and this idea of you ain't talking money, you ain't trying to talk right so they say and so. As we were talking before, as people are beginning to, to decide where what schools they want to go, and, and even as people are looking into the financial process, the financial investment of not just getting in and paying for medical, or excuse me, not just paying for medical school, but the process to getting into medical school, what are some of your insights, right? Going through the application process, pay, paying for the primaries, paying for the secondaries, right? Um, you and I were talking about before we started the podcast, right? Um, COVID, one of the blessings of COVID, right, is that we don't have to, uh, you know, people don't have to fly um, any anywhere anymore. But even as that's changing now, because I've heard that some schools are doing in-person interviews. How, what are some of the financial um, insights that you have that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would just like to, like, before we talk about it, like, I was very privileged. Um, like, my family supported me applying, like, to medical school and through my primaries. Um and like while I did work at times, like in college, like I did not have to work um, a full time job, like while I was there. Um, so that was like a big privilege, and that's something that like as you apply, I think it's important to recognize is that like there there are pe- like there are a ton of my friends, a ton of people I know who had to pay for those applications. And when you think about it, like if you have to pay for those applications, you're applying to less schools, um, and that's like less of a chance to get in. And that's like a real issue and something that I think. I think needs to be changed and I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but like, it should not be as expensive to apply to a professional school. Um, it, you should not have to pay for secondary applications. You should not have to pay for your own flight to get to interviews. That's why I don't, I, if, if your school goes back to in-person interviews, um, I would consider taking them off the list of schools that I wanted to apply to. Um, because I think that's like kind of disrespectful, um, to people applying and not in the, not really in the ideals of like equity. Um, but I think, Overall, um, in applying to school, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to consider, but I think scholarship should definitely be one. It is very clear. Um, I think if you talk with these students who are at the school and like social events before, if the school offers a lot of scholarship, um, Pritzker I know, um, which is not surprising, offers a lot of scholarship, um, and that was really big in my decision. There's a ton of loan forgiveness programs. Everybody tells you that you will make like make, make that money in the future, but As wanting to go into primary care, family medicine, like, I mean, they make a good amount of money, but it's not like an easy pay off a six figure loan um, type of salary. And so I think, and there's also like, there's just a lot of stress. There's a lot of mental stress. I had a lot of advisors tell me like, yeah, you may be able to pay it off, but having a loan that's accruing interest that is substantial throughout your twenties, your thirties, it's going to be a stressor on you. It's going to be stressor on if you want to start a family. Um, So I think scholarship is important. And I think my biggest piece of advice would just be the medical schools. Obviously, they want you to go there. You need to recognize a school accepts you, that they want you to go there. And you need to ask them for as much money as possible. You need to be absolutely ruthless in the way that you like play schools off one another. You need to like compare and say that one school has offered me this. You don't say how much, but you need to say like within the ballpark and you need to send that message to the other school and say like this school is more competitive right now financially than what you're offering me and i would like you to offer more it doesn't have to be disrespectful but i think you ask in a way you need to realize your worth and that if a school accepts you they've done a lot of work they've reviewed thousands of applications they've interviewed all, probably a thousand people and they accepted you um and i think that's the biggest the biggest thing of advice and something that I did in my medic, like before I applied was, was get the best offer, like get the best offer for your worth, because like you are going to do a lot of work and you should be, I mean, it's basically compensation. Like you should be compensated to what, to how you deem, like your fit as an applicant is that school. Um, So that's something I would say to definitely do. um, If anybody's like accepted right now and has multiple offers to definitely, definitely do that.
2: Yeah.
0: Know your worth. That's such a good message. I mean, like I think it's taboo to talk about money and it shouldn't be it's transparency and it's, it's a big factor. And I'm going to be honest. I have been very lucky. I went to an out-of-state school. I played collegiate soccer. I, you know, was taken care of in an academic sense from an external like area and the fear of going into medical school and being like, all right, like, this is a lot of money. Like Dylan, you posted on your story about the debt calculator and, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And I feel like it's just, it's taboo to talk about it and it shouldn't be. So, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for sharing with our listeners to know your worth. And if you have multiple offers, like pit them against each other. They're all competitive, just like you're competitive with other people and other applicants. Like, they want you for a reason. You worked hard for four years. You were probably like, Dylan, you do research. You could bring in money to the school, prestige to the school. You know, they want you for a reason. So, in those closing remarks, I mean, this is probably our first guest we've had that's, you know, matriculated immediately. And we've talked in the past about gap years and taking your time. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you know, you know, if you're being offered and you're ready and your application's ready, there's no reason to hesitate. There's no reason to doubt yourself and doubt your timing and doubt the work you've put in. Because at the end of the day, like Dylan's shown to all of us, you can be extremely mature and you can know what you want at a very young age and you'll be a physician at 26, at 30, at 40, at 50. And very luckily we'll have Dylan, you know, finding the good fight with family medicine and working hard. And I'm really, really proud to know you and have you on the podcast. So is there anything else uh, you want to say? You can plug your social media or your... um, your homeless uh, population um, mobile clinic at the U of A. If people go there and need anything, you can plug whatever you need in this in this space.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, thanks for having me on, guys, um, and I appreciate it. Um, but I think I think closing remarks in like that, um, like you said, there's you can apply if you're ready to apply. You can you'll become a physician really early. I think um, it needs to be said that like your decisions are like the decisions that you make now to go to medical school, take a gap year. Like these, these decisions are not, are not final. Like I I decided to go to medical, to go to medical school immediately matriculate. When I got here, I have a lot, there's a lot of my classmates, a lot of people who are older than me who ended up taking multiple years off in medical school um, to either do research, to pursue a dual degree. um, And those years are kind of like gap years. That's essentially like what a lot of people do in their gap years. And I think it's, it just goes to show that like you don't need to make a decision now. If you're ready, you can, ha- and you think that maybe in the future you won't have um, the time, like the mental headspace to like continue on throughout. I think it's important to recognize that there's different opportunities in the field of medicine along your journey to take breaks, and it's not not no decision is final. You're not going to not get another break until you become an attendant. People take research years all the time. People take time off if you go through something you can always ask your institution to take a year off there are a lot of things to facilitate you getting there um so when people stress about do I take a gap year do i do not if you feel ready you can go do it and if the time comes that you really need to you really need that time to like gather yourself or to do something else that you that you love um it's important because if you really want to go into this field and you really want to do medicine um, I think you have to feel pretty strongly about it. There's a lot of financial hurdles, there's a lot of academic hurdles. And if you've gone through all of those and you still are like, yeah, no, this is this is the dream, I think that you deserve to like to to make that decision and not not have to worry about it um day and night. So that's one thing that I didn't know when I was applying, that now that I know I'm like, no decision, no decision is final, no decision is going to change the course of my career right now. Um and you have all the time in the world to like get there and, and get done. Um in terms of plugging, I mean, if anybody has any questions, um, I'm on Instagram, just like Dylan underscore angle. Um, if you're interested in Pritzker or anything, um, I can connect you with people who are like admissions leaders um, or just if you're interested about anything like at U of A. Um, and then, yeah, Street Medicine Tucson is the um, free clinic in Tucson. If anybody is in Arizona and wants to get involved, um, they're great. Um, and they're still in good hands from the board that like we kind of left behind. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
2: Thank you so much, Dylan. We appreciate it. We all, you all, we will see you on the next episode. Time is your friend, not your enemy.